Hello, 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 you beautiful people out there. I'm happy today. I hope you are. Listen, I'm happy every single day I'm above ground and I get a chance to talk to you beautiful people through um, this microphone. Why not? Why not? What could be worse uh, or what could be better <laughs> than getting a chance to hang out and talk about the things that we love and we know about? One of those things is lending and mortgages and buying homes and leveraging and investing and so much more. And so we did a deeper dive today into down payments, what you need to know, where you need to get it. Now, today's episode, we broke down a little bit more into the gifting process. We talked about some ways you cannot get down payment, some things to avoid, a couple of really interesting stories from the boys today. And, um, you know, whether you're a real estate agent, you're new to buying a home, second time buying a home, I think you're really going to enjoy a lot of key tips uh, from this episode episode. Again, this is brought to you by uh, the partners and myself here at Thrive Mortgage Co. My name is Alex McFadden. I've got my two co-hosts, Derek Williamson and Dean Lawton. And if you're loving the show, the only thing we ask for entry is a five-star review on iTunes. Again, that's if you love it. Uh, otherwise, send us some feedback. Let us know what you want to see more of. Is it investing? Is it mortgage guidelines? Is it current market affairs? Like, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this episode here today, all about down payments. And we'll talk to you soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. How to get a down payment. We've talked about this a little bit in the past, but we always need to continue the conversation because there's always new listeners in the podcast checking this out. And I don't think we've ever done a thorough podcast from start to finish on the different strategies and ways to get a down payment. We've done break aparts with, you know, how to use your equity. We've done a little bit on the first time buyer. So we're just going to do like a broad overview here on all the different ways to get down payment. So if you're a real estate agent listening to this, this will be absolutely massive to help you help your clients. If you're someone looking to buy, this is going to be helpful for you, whether you're buying your first, second, or another home, and you're just looking for different strategies to help accomplish your goal. So definitely stay tuned to listen in to a lot of this stuff. So let's get right into it. We've got a whole bunch of bullet notes notes down here. We're going to talk a little bit about different ways and uh, run through that. And then additionally speaking, we're going to talk about what you can't do or what you can't use. Um, so let's hop right into the first one, which is something that we see almost on a day-to-day -day basis, which is gifting, a gift. What the heck is a gift of money and what isn't a gift? There's a lot of nice people out there gifting their uh, family members a lot of money right now. It's good to see, actually. Uh, a lot of people are actually looking at early inheritance. You know, like typically an inheritance is when someone passes away and uh, funds are passed down to their kids or family members, whoever. So we're seeing a lot of people help um, their kids with an early inheritance. They're taking advantage of that, you know, that money now, helping their kids get into the market. We're seeing a ton of that. So gifting is probably the easiest way to structure a down payment from like a, a regulation standpoint. Um, it does have to be from immediate family on exceptions. It can come from, you know, an aunt or a grandpa or something like that, if it, if it makes sense. Um, but a gift is not a loan. So the gift or the person actually giving the funds has to sign a gift letter, noting that it is not uh, to be repaid. That's part of the verification process for lenders. I yeah. Think, oh. No, oh, I was just going to say, just on verif verifying a gift, it's always been just as simple as, yeah, sign the gift letter and Bob's your uncle move forward. 
Um, but we are starting to see some lenders where they actually do want to see verification from the gift doors account. So um, that's come up where, you know, your your mom gave you $50,000 as an example. Uh, there are a, a number of lenders that will actually ask for your mother's bank statement to confirm that she actually had that uh, that funds in a legitimate way, right? That, the whole reason why they're, they're verifying this is because of the anti-money laundering act and they have to cover their butts right yeah put a pin in that what dean just said there because uh historically you know i think there are people that may have tried to skirt the rules and get a friend or someone else to uh transfer the money to them and then maybe not tell the bank or not tell us or something of that nature and we didn't necessarily have to verify that other than signing a letter and getting verification so uh, to, to your point, Dean, I mean, we're going to see this uh, more and more and more of this, which is lenders asking for more documents to prove where it came from, which is absolutely massive, right? So I'm going to go on a little side note here because the talk about a gift is where we're going to get the down payment. But on a little bit of a side note, we are actually supposed to be going through the greatest wealth transfer in history. Um, starting essentially last year and moving into this year right now, which says there's not only going to be a lot of gifting, but there's going to be a lot of transfer of funds from, uh, you know, grandparents and other people in the event of inheritance and passing and all these different types of different, you know, ways. So if we do talk about the gift piece for a down payment, and we'll reference back to this in a few minutes, um, this is something where I think the conversation just needs to be started by the people who are looking to buy the home to find out if there is the possibility of what we talk about, which is an early inheritance, um, which could still be a form of a gift. Um, but how much better would it be for your grandparents, as an example, to actually see you move into the home and enjoy the home or even live with them for that matter and um, get that early inheritance versus waiting until they've passed on? Yeah, it's a good point. We, we had a really interesting conversation this week with, with an executive from Scotiabank who said there's never been more money in Canadian banks as of today. Um, because of COVID, a lot of people liquidated assets and, you know, moved money around. And they, it's just like an, a historical number. There's billions and billions of dollars sitting in regular savings accounts right now, more than ever before, uh, which is really interesting. So, you know, early inheritance is kind of the one thing that comes to mind right away is, how can we access this money and put it to work? Well, an early inheritance makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And while we're talking about family and gifts, there's actually been fairly common where people are buying a home with their parents. Maybe parents have retired, they're on pension, their house is paid off. Uh, maybe the kids are working hard, slugging away, but they just can't get their down payment saved up. We're seeing a lot of families, uh, parents are selling, they've got a huge down payment, maybe a million dollars, and the kids are, are qualified for a good size mortgage because they're working. So they'll go in on a property together. Um, you know, So that's a, a really good option for a lot of people if you don't have your down payment, if, if you get along with your family and it makes sense. Um, a lot of people are actually finding their down payment uh, by buying with family. Yeah, so without going too far off, I think we should touch on that for sure, and let's, let's break that up part but uh, touching on the down payment coming from a gift portion of things really quickly again very important as a summary that this has to be an immediate family member um, we don't the, a lot of lenders don't actually accept if it's your girlfriend or boyfriend that's typically not acceptable sometimes on an exception if you can prove a long history even a, a, a spouse they will ask questions if it's a spouse so when we talk about immediate family member this isn't your best friend obviously this is going to be or someone who's like a family this is going to be brother sister mother uh, father, grandfather, grandmother, that sort of thing. So that's what we're looking for here. I, I can't echo that any more importantly than that. Is That is, is something that we see all the time. Hey, I'm getting a gift. 
it's a long time family friend lenders don't accept that and yeah there's like no exceptions to that it's very rare so that's a good point no aml guys anti-money laundering don't blame us blame yeah. them <laughs> um so again uh dean already touched on the fact that you need a gift letter they're going to verify this so make sure you're prepared for that to happen uh what are we talking to what derek just mentioned here which is about okay well if you're getting down payment money again think about buying together so uh, let's have a conversation about that um and uh, derek maybe you could take over again what are some common situations where you're seeing this work for some families as far as living together and using the down payment money from the family yeah like i said right parents might be retired they don't need their big detached home that their kids grew up in and uh their kids are looking to get into the market but the values are are high where we live right like there's no beating around the bush there it's hard for people to get into the detached home market so we've seen a ton of people that are buying with parents uh, yeah. buying with grandparents and you know maybe it's a uh, uh, a two dwelling property, um, you know, maybe there's just a suite in the house that the parents are going to occupy, but you're essentially using the parents equity from their sale, right? Like, which is pretty significant when you see what's happened with real estate over the years. And, you know, the kids would essentially move into that property uh, with their mortgage. So they would be paying all the debt and the parents are living mortgage free. Yeah, I'm, I'm living proof of that. That's exactly what I did. I mm. bought a home with my parents for both the reason of didn't have enough down payment for the type of property I wanted, also couldn't qualify for the type of property I wanted. So we were able to, you know, not, this is a down payment episode, but we were able to qualify for that home because we had the multiple family members yeah. too. Yeah, that's that's so important. Um, so again, figuring out if that makes sense for your family, instead of having them quote unquote downgrade to get access to their capital, maybe moving together, maybe again, we get asked about buildings. So there's a form of equity that you can use for your quote unquote down payment. Uh, buying two properties and selling, you know, one property to do that. Uh, so many different things you can do. But again, if you are going to do that, have the conversation in advance to be prepared. Who's going on title? Whose money you're using? How are you setting that up? It's not as easy as just I'm going to buy with them. There's a lot of parameters to consider there. Um, and then actually the third note on that is if you already own a home and you're thinking about going with family, uh, you should be considering the possibility of even just keeping your home as an investment if you're going to make that move. Sometimes you can draw the equity, which we'll talk about in a second here, which is how to use equity for a refund finance, you could draw the equity, keep your home as an investment and still make that move in with a family member. So let's talk about that, guys. Limitations and rules around down payments and equity and how you can use it and how much you can use it. Yeah. So using equity for the purpose of, of a down payment, it, it's a very common way to obtain a down payment. Uh, essentially, when it comes to equity, the house that you're, I guess, taking the equity from you're maxed out at 80% of the value of that home. So whatever that home is worth, you can borrow up to 80% of the value of that home, assuming you income qualify for it. So that's a big one. Um, there, keep in mind, there's likely an existing mortgage on that property. So you always got to keep in mind that if you can borrow 80%, subtract what's already lent out on that property, and then the difference is what you're essentially going to be able to utilize for a down payment. I think what you should know about uh, taking out equity for the purpose of a down payment is uh, just the timing of when you're doing that. So you have access to the capital is very important. So making sure that you've started the process or you've already got that in place. Uh, because if you're buying, you're taking equity out of a home and you are looking at buying a home at the same time, you have to tell that lender that you are going to own another property. So it's very important to structure that correctly, but you can do that. And the second point that's come up a lot lately is how long do I have to own a home before I can use the equity for down payment in this case? And the answer to that is there's not really any set amount of time. I mean, we've had people buy homes and then call us 30 days later and say, actually, 
you know, I've, I've owned my, I, I got into my home and it's already worth X amount more thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hey, can I access this equity? And the answer to that question is commonly, yes, there are certain lenders that don't have time restrictions on how long you've had to own the home. It really just depends on the value or the appraised value. So there's no limitations, realistically speaking, on being able to do it as long as you can qualify. That's a good point. And yeah, there. But there are lenders that do have have issues around that, and there are lenders that will want you to be in that home for a minimum of 12 months before you can refinance it. So knowing that, if that is your goal, knowing what lender, how the lender looks at that policy is very important. Yeah, just on that piece. So don't assume just because you have equity in your home that you can access it. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, they hear home equity line of credit. I hear this constantly. People think, well, I have the equity. I can get a line of credit. There's no question. You have to qualify just like you're purchasing a property. If you're trying to borrow more money, if you're trying to increase your mortgage, you have to go through the exact same application process as a purchase. Yeah. And Alex, you brought up a good point, like making sure the lender is aware that you're, you have two transactions happening here, because in most cases you're refinancing before you even have this other property. This other property doesn't even exist yet. So knowing what your qualification looks like from carrying both those properties is so key. You do not want to do anything without knowing what that scenario looks like first. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No question. No question. So again, consultations and conversations need to be having throughout the entire process and make sure that your real estate agent is on the same page uh, because they need to know the timing so they can do a good job for you as well. So let's talk a little bit about uh, one of the ones that's really helpful for um first-time buyers, but also people who are considered first-time buyers again. And there's a few different ways around this program, but using your RRSPs typically is reserved for people or Canadian citizens who are looking to buy their first home where you can pull money from an RRSP, which is an investment fund essentially usually, uh, for the purposes of uh, down payment without paying tax on it because you normally are taxed on this income. Now, um, there's a lot of strategies around using the RRSPs, but there's some considerations. Number one, $35,000 is the maximum that you can use. Number two, it has to have been on the account for at least 90 days, but that's it, only 90 days. So some people will actually put it in place, get their tax refund based on their accountant's direction or financial planner's advice, and then pull the money out. But you don't necessarily just need to be a first-time buyer to uh, to avoid this uh, tax. All right, so the other ways that you can use this program or that you might qualify is if you're recently divorced, uh, you can actually draw $35,000 for the purposes of your RRSP. Uh, and actually, in the, the home buyer's plan in Canada allows you, if you have not owned a home for just over four years, so check the dates, it's on the uh, home buyer's website, the federal government website, you can use that RRSP again. So they'll use consider that as a first-time buyer. Now, do not confuse that with some of the provincial first-time home buyer programs and some of the other programs. That is unique to the federal RRSP one. But again, more than four years since you've owned a home and or being divorced also qualifies the same as the first time buyers to use it, the RRSP. Number one question I get around this program is when do I have to pay it back? 15 years is the, is the rule. You have to have those RSP funds paid back to that RSP account within 15 years. It's very minimal. 
the amount that you have to pay back and the time yeah. that you have. It's, yeah. it's a very long time to chip yeah. away at that. So um, RRSPs can take a while to get drawn out. So if you're using your RRSPs for your deposit, like if that's your total down payment, you want to get on that sooner than later. We've seen some institutions take up to a week to actually deposit that into your account. So if you're purchasing and you have a subject removal period coming up, get on that sooner than later. That's a really good point. Some, depending on where your RRSPs are invested, some actually, ha- like depending on who the institution is, they actually, in their language of their contract, have 30 days to give it back to you. So depending, and that's why some will drag their feet to give it back to you. So that's really a key point. And there's institutions like Tangerine, and they will actually take a week to give you a draft, like to get you a bank draft because they're more of a virtual bank. So know where your money is. So that's important to talk about because again, the down payment versus deposit conversation, because again, when you're buying a home, typically you have to provide a deposit, a draft within you know uh, 24 hours of removing subjects, or if you're making a subject free offer immediately. And I've had this come up in the past where a client's called me uh, really uh, upset or concerned because they couldn't get the money out of their RRSP. So do remember that going into it. Now, we were able to help that client with what we call a deposit loan in the meantime, which is a loan that allows you to use the equity from your existing home to give the deposit for the timeline until you close on the property. There was a lot there to say, but basically we can help you in an emergency situation if you're selling a home. But otherwise, just make sure to know your dates and know your numbers because, again, some of these online banks and honestly, even some of the big banks can just take a long time to draw your money in. And one of the other concerns on that front is I've actually seen banks delay clients because they were trying to win the mortgage business. And they were slow. Mm-hmm. They wanted them to come in for a meeting and they were trying to sell them on their own mortgage. So again, keep in mind these banks, as much as they're great for getting money and there's some good people that work there, their job is sales, 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 sales. So be careful and be aware of these items as you're moving forward. Yeah. Personal savings. Personal savings is probably the most common source of down payment. Uh, it is a pretty in-depth verification process. We have to prove via 90-day bank statement history. I don't know what it is, but people cannot <laughs> seem to figure out bank statements a lot of the time. Um, lenders want to see a full transactional history. We see these statements come back a lot and people have kind of blacked out sections of you know, what they've purchased or how much money they've withdrawn. Lenders will not accept that. They need to know every single thing that's happened within that account for a full 90 days. Any large deposits, typically over $1,000, kind of depends on the lender. They'll actually ask for proof of where that came from. So if you give us a bank statement history and it shows a $5,000 deposit, they're going to say, great, these bank statements look good, but prove to us where that five grand came from. And if you say it's, well, it's from my tax-free savings, they're going to say, awesome, send us the tax-free savings 90-day history. So that's pretty much it. We need a full transactional history for 90 days. We have to prove where all of the money came from. Any large deposits have to be traced back to the source. And large deposits. What is a large deposit? I've had lenders pick apart a $1,000 deposit. They want to know where that came from. So we're, again, getting into bank statements. We're now getting into 90-day bank statement for that $1,000. Like This is where... Uh, frustration can really boil over from mm. a financing perspective because it mm. becomes like a, a literally if we today everything's digital but if we were back in the paper days we would have a <laughs> the biggest three ring binder you could find full of bank statements it, yeah. and it, it be, can it can feel very invasive but it is what it is and this is all because of the anti-money laundering act which we touched on earlier Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really key to say. And and again, the way to avoid a lot of that frustration is just be prepared in advance that you're going to have to provide that history. So just know where your money is. 
try not to move it. I know a lot of us have multiple accounts. We talked about this in other episodes where we have uh, different ways to save and we have money in other accounts and that's great. But if you know that you're going to buy a home, just leave the money in those separate accounts for a timeline um, or just be prepared to provide the transfer of everything Mm -hmm. from one direction to the next. So, um, you know, let's just talk about another form of down payment, uh, which is uh, using company funds. So, again, this is for self-employed individuals. Uh, I think this is relatively short. If you own your own company and you have money in your corporate bank accounts, you can typically use that money for a down payment. Yeah, you can talk to your accountant if you're drawing a large sum of money from your company. It's typically going to trigger a personal tax bill. There are some ways to to set it up as loans, but it's usually very short term. Um, a lot of lenders will actually want to see the funds ran from your company account to your personal account. They'll actually want to verify the transfer. Um, but yeah, bang on. You can absolutely use it. It is an asset. Uh, again, they're going to be asking for 90-day bank statement histories. Sometimes you're going to look in that business account and there's six deposits a day so it can get a little bit excessive when it comes to um invoices and such oh yeah yeah that's an arduous process last one um which a lot of people actually have asked me about lately which is can i use other money for borrowed funds for the down payment and there's kind of like two-part answer to this question so can you use a line of credit or a a credit card for down payment and i think the, the question is first and foremost if we're talking about line of credit is it a home equity line of credit which is the line of credit from your home or is it like an unsecured line of credit, which is just a typical line of credit that you get from your bank? Um, yet you can. There are programs where you can use it. The one from your home is very easy to use. The one that is unsecured, less so for a variety of reasons. Usually it's just qualification. It's just not usually suggested. So there are programs that will allow you to use some credit card or some line of credit that's unsecured. Mostly, however, it'll reduce your qualification so dramatically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The only one that I would say that is unsecured where you can use money that I commonly see is for medical lines of credit. So uh, doctors and uh, people in that sort of field. We've seen uh, lenders make very fair exceptions for those type of situations. So you can typically from a home equity line of credit or a medical line of credit. Anything else to add to that, guys? There you go. All right, so let's talk about what we can't use. Uh, we could probably go on forever on what you can't use, but we'll just hit the most common ones uh, right off the bat. Cash under the bed. <laughs> Strangely enough, some people do keep cash. They take money out of the bank when they get paid and they put it under their bed. Do not do that. If you're going to do that, put it back in your account. It has to sit in there for 90 days before you can use it. So cash is no good. People that are in a line of work where you receive cash tips, put them in the bank. Has to be in the bank mm-hmm. or you cannot use it for a down payment. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. Like rest people working in the in the service industry, restaurants making tons of money tips, usually making more money in tips than they do in their actual wage. Yeah, put it in the bank account. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I actually got a call from a guy uh, that I was working on a live file, meaning like he was working uh, on it. Uh, he had a purchase in hand, but he hadn't done a pre-approval uh, a few weeks ago. And he called me up and we were talking about the down payment. He said, yep, I got $35,000. No problem. Like, fantastic. Where is the money in the source? He's like, oh, I got it. Okay, where is it? <laughs> and he explains, well, I got to drive up and get it from my, my other house. Uh, it's in a safe. And, uh, you know, obviously I had a, okay, all right, this is going to be interesting. Let's see what we can do here. Um, but again, you can't just use cash that's sitting in a safe. That's 
uh, technically non-verifiable. Um, the only exception or the only way around that would be to put it in a bank account and let it sit there for a period of time or have some kind of proof of where the money came from. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's this myth. I think we talked about this in, in another episode, but there's been a myth where, oh, if I close with a private lender, I can bring my cash to the lawyer and, and close on the transaction. Not the case. A lawyer is not going to take your cash. Yeah, so no. <laughs> bank draft only. Sure, they'll be happy to charge you more, but they're not going to use it. No, unfortunately, in that case, I had some uh, clients about a year and a half ago, and this guy was getting a large gift from his parents. And we were trying, we had to prove source of funds because it was a, a large sum of money. And uh, he let me know that it was actually cash in their house over a million dollars. And they do not trust banks. They have nothing with banks, no accounts, no nothing. And they have all their money in their house. Yeah, just don't tell us that. We'd rather not know that. Yeah. So when it does go missing, you don't blame us. That's, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, more things not to do. All right, so this is a big one right now, especially since uh, 2020 when COVID uh, really changed the financial markets in so many different ways. And we're seeing alternate sources, sources of investment and alternate sources of uh, quote unquote cash. Um, we're seeing obviously uh, trading cards. Uh, we're seeing different values for different types of traditionally uh, strong um, uh, valuations of let's say gold or silver or other metals and all, all these different um, basically ways to trade for money right now. And one of those ways is uh, uh, Bitcoin. And uh, Bitcoin is already, you know, having a lot of uh, interesting changes in the, what is this, 2021 right now. So we're seeing the valuations go through the roof for anybody who bought Bitcoin in the last year or two years. But at this point right now, I think it's still so unregulated and um, that the banks just don't want to use that for the purpose of down payment yet. We're not seeing them accept Bitcoin yet. For yeah, any cryptocurrency. Payment. It's not it's not working. Not yet. But I'm sure I'm sure it's going to come around. It's made such a big like to your point, it's been such a big rush towards that type of investment over COVID. So I'm sure at some point it will come around. But as of right now, not happening. I don't understand enough about crypto to speak to it, but I understand that the reason that banks won't use it is because of where it's held. Like it's not like a bank account that you can typically track a transactional history. You know where it's held? Is it a cloud? Is it a, well, what is it? it? I mean, it's it's kind of backed around the Anti-Money Laundering Act as well, like where, where it becomes tax haven countries, money being held in tax haven countries. I think they look at it the same type of way. It, 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 to your point, it can't be tracked. We don't know if it was illegal if those those funds were derived by legal sources, there's so many ways you can get a Bitcoin on, off the street. To be honest, you can walk into currency exchanges, you name it. Um, so there's so many ways to fraudulently get cash into that type of a, a form of of I guess equity, you could say, or an asset. Uh, so it's just it's just too hard to track. It's just it falls right back down to the Anti Money Laundering Act is where it always comes to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So other other considerations, ways that you cannot use uh, for down payment. We found some other uh, methods. Um, again, I want to make preface this by saying you know things are changing day to day. So will a lender make an exception? Maybe, uh, but just traditionally not accepted ways like PayPal. We've had some issues using PayPal accounts unless it's verified through your bank statement. Again. Yeah. It's not in your bank, so it's difficult to verify that. That's um, a good one because we've seen a lot of people kind of create these side hustles or just create new businesses while they're off work and they're receiving all these funds from PayPal because of this new business they started, what have you. Um, just link your bank account to your PayPal account. Get it out of PayPal as soon as possible. Uh, to, uh, who knows? We could see that one come around. I see some common sense in that one. And usually lenders will come around when it comes to common sense. And you know, who knows, maybe PayPal changes, but as of right now, get that into your bank account. Yeah. 
a couple years behind at this point. Yeah. Uh, we touched on it already, but gifting from uh, friends, basically not immediate family members. Again, uh, it's got to be family. Very important. This last one's not super common, but I've seen it quite a few times where we have a, an owner of a real estate brokerage or a lawyer that has a lot of money in a trust account and they use their trust account as a bank statement to verify income. Trust accounts are regulated by the government. They're audited regularly. That's not your money. Plain and simple. Those are not, that is not your money. So you cannot use that as verification sure for a no down payment. I've seen that. it. I've seen it. I'm not going to name names, but we have seen it. Uh, wild. So you can't use other people's money that's not yours and not <laughs> verified. We hear about uh, investing in OPM, other people's money all the time, but not in this context, guys, not in this context, not ideal. So, I mean, that's going to be a really good overview on finding your down payment and different ways that you can access that money. I know we've done previous episodes before, but I think this one got into a heck of a lot more detail. If you have any questions about obviously getting your down payment and how to get that, where to find it. Again, this is a conversation that you can have with us. Check out some of our previous episodes that'll be linked in the show notes. And guys, if you're loving the show, which we really hope you are, make sure to give us some feedback. Send us a DM on Instagram. Uh, hit us up uh, personally, directly on our website, Thrive Morgan ca make sure to subscribe and give us that five-star review we're looking forward to working with you and we're glad we're enjoying you're enjoying the show talk soon